Lauren. Hey, Judd. Or maybe I should call you Judd. Today, everybody's name is Judd. Well, you can if you want. Okay, Judd. Now, today we we welcomed in the other Judd, although he calls me the other Judd, Judd Wallenbrock, into the studio. He's a renowned vintner and humanitarian. We're going to hear all about his wine business and how it benefits humankind. And he's just a, he's a fun, easygoing, cool guy. I really enjoyed getting to sit down and talk with him. Yeah, me too. Yeah, it was good. Good times. Indeed. Thank you. Before we get to the show, I would like to invite you to come visit me and the family at Judd's Hill Winery. We're located at the south end of the beautiful Silverado Trail here in the Napa Valley, and we would love to see you. Visiting information can be found at www.juddshill.com. That's right, juddshill.com. And while you're online, take a look at the website. There's photos, there's poetry, there's recipes to pair with our wines. There's some really funny videos that I'm awfully proud of. And there's wine, Lauren. There is. There is indeed. And if you put some of that wine in your cart, let's offer a little special perk to our listeners, shall we? Oh, sure. Okay, so what, what, sh- what, should, we, what should folks do after they put wine in their shopping cart? Type in coupon code JNVS on lowercase letters, and you'll get 15% off your entire wine order. That's right, Lauren Mole. And if you want a better deal than that, you can join our wine club. All the information is right there online. I think it's the best wine club you could hope to join. I think Lauren agrees. One of the best, if not the best. Thank you, sir. You get to try all of our wines. You get invitations to special events and other great perks. I just guarantee a good time, to be sure. Now, what do you say? Should we get to the other Judd? Hey, Judd, we can't waste any more time. We got a show to do. Thanks, Judd. No problem, Judd. Everyone's a Finkel friend on Judd's Napa Valley Show. Get ready for another heap full of fascinating things to know from witty and intriguing people on Judd's Napa Valley Show. No stale script and no rehearsing, live from a Napa studio. You may be that intriguing person on Judd's Napa Valley Show. On Judd's Napa Valley Show. Judd's Napa, Judd's Napa Valley, Judd's Napa Valley Show. Let's have a round. He's the toast of the town. A good guy all around. He won't make you frown. He's nice to be around. He's a man about town. Chad Finkelstein. Well, Lauren Mole, I guess I've been told. I, I can't keep up with you. That was amazing. Thank you for that great introduction. Sure, You're o- always keeping it fresh and, dare I say, professional here on Judd's Napa Valley Show. I guess you could say that. I, I think I just said, and I will say it every single week because it's true and you do. Thank you. You're welcome. You've been well? I've been well. Good. You've got your big uh, gig coming up next week, right? March 7th. That's right. Uh, at the Golden State Warriors game. Me and everybody's a star will be singing uh, the Star Spangled Banner for the third year in a row. Wonderful, wonderful. Tickets are available through? www.everybodystar.org or maybe through warriors.com. Maybe, but I'll bet since it's benefiting everybody is a star... Go to, go to their website and get the tickets through them because we want this organization to continue to thrive, be healthy, successful, and be able to continue doing what they do. And we've mentioned it many times on this show, but why don't you go ahead once again and tell folks what Everybody's Star, it, excuse me, Everybody is a Star is all about and how you're involved. Well, Everybody is a Star is a Sonoma-based organization or foundation that helps uh, the, uh, the talents of special needs individuals. They, we showcase their talents in special quality broadcast music videos. And they, they get produced, they're professionally directed, they're beautiful, and one of the first was your very own. 
me being the first male star, Judd. That's true. You're the first male star, one of the first videos to go up there. So folks, go to everybodystar.org. They can get their tickets to the Warriors game to come see you sing the national anthem live at the arena. That's right, but not by myself, just with, with a few other people. Well, sure, but you'll be there. And okay. they can also see your music video there. That's right. That's wonderful. Nice. Lauren. Yes, Jeff. I don't have much to say on a personal note. That's um, all right. That's all right. Things are a little slow. You know, just seller work at the winery. You always ask me what's going on. I mean, it's always, there's always fun things to do. I invite people to come visit any time, but I don't have any earth-shattering news. So what I'd like to do instead of listening to me ramble on, we just had President's Day. We did. One of my favorite holidays. You, you have the utmost respect for the office of the President of the United States. We, we have talked about this. You've done some of your famous impressions and impersonations of some of our former presidents. Maybe a little later today, our guest today suggested we get into a little James Buchanan. You could do your impersonation. But before we get to that, you have something prepared. So folks listening, get in your Wayback Machine. We're, we're going retro. We're going to throw back to a little presidential comedy going back to the 1980s we're not going to get too political this is uh absolutely just, not this is just a little comedy thanks to mr lauren mole take it away if you need to uh introduce it a little better go for it uh, uh, keep in mind that this actually came from the johnny carson show back in uh, 1982 and i've done this uh, on the napa show with Artie party before uh, a few times it's very comedic so please enjoy do you, do you need to set up who all the uh, characters are of course uh, yes ronald reagan was president james baker was secretary of state Premier Chung Dong-hoo is Premier of China. Yasser Arafat is head of the PLO. And James White is Secretary of the Interior. All right, we've got the setup. We are now in the Oval Office. The, does the phone ring? No, that, that's a little later. Oh, I'll, I'll be quiet now. Go for it. Well, now, would you, would you send in Jim Baker, please? Hello, Mr. President. Well, hello, Jim. Just, uh, just have a seat. Yes. Uh, Mr. President, your press conference is scheduled to begin in an hour, so we only have a short time for us to go over the kind of subjects, subjects that the uh, press may throw at you. Well, now, the environment's on their minds, and, well, I'm sure they'll ask about my Secretary of the Interior. What? Jim, I just told you I think they'll ask about my Secretary of the Interior. James what? You're scheduled to go swimming with him tomorrow morning at the Y. Where? Why? Why? That's right. With what? With what? I don't even know what who, Jim. No, not not who. What? Okay, well, let, let me get this straight. I'm, I'm going swimming tomorrow with, with who? What? Where? Why? <laughs> well, Jim, let's go on to the, uh, the Middle East now. I need the, the first name of the end of the PLO, the DRF guy. Uh, yes, sir. Well, Jim, it's nice for you to be polite, but... Uh, what is his name? No, sir. Yes, sir. Well, now I ask you who is the head of the PLO when you told me no, sir. Yes. And you told me yes, sir. Yes, that's correct. You got it. I got what? No, he's the Secretary of the Interior. Well, Jim, I don't know why you're doing this to me. Brr, brr. Oval Office, Baker. Yes. Hmm. You have the head of the Republic of China calling for the president. Premier Chung Dung Hu. Okay. Uh, hold on. Mr. President, who's on the phone? Well, now, Jim, I don't know who's on the phone. That is correct. What's correct? No, he's the Secretary of the Interior. Well, Jim, let's just start over here a little quietly. Just, just tell me, Jim, who is on the phone? Who is on the phone? Who? Uh, yes, sir. Wait, 
That air fat guy's on the phone, Jim? Uh, no, sir. Who is? What? Show me. Tomorrow morning at the Y. And scene. Wonderful. <laughs> Lauren Mo with a little presidential retro humor for us. Fabulous. And without a script, I've got to say, you did that all from memory. You're an amazing talent. Thank you for sharing that in your tribute to President's Day. Glad I could. We've got quite a show today. Oh, we do. Yes, we do. Would you care to introduce our host, or our guest? I, well, there's a reason I might have just confused host and guest, and you're going to find out in just a second. Well, it's time we solve the mystery, Judd. Yes. Many charitable wines, and not one a dud. His awesome first name confirms he's a stud. But why didn't his mother just name him the other? Because this town's got room for just one, Judd. Oh, Lauren, that was that was build up, build up, and then a bit of a diss there at the end there. But a fine introduction to our guest, Judd. Believe it or not, the other Judd. Well, maybe I'm the other Judd. Judd Wallenbrock, thank you for being here. Hey, thanks very much, Judd. Thanks very much, Lauren. It's a pleasure to be here, and yes, I am the first Judd. You are. You've got a few, a few years, years. A few years, you know. You're, 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 you're also a very young man like myself. So, But Judd... The other Judd. I've just, God, I can't get used to saying that. Judd. How many Judds are there? There's us. Are there any other Judds in the Valley? Lauren, what do you think? Would you like to be an honorary Judd today so we can just all be Judd here? I'd rather not comment. Oh, my goodness. Okay, that was the ultimate diss. <laughs> Maybe we could change our names to Lauren today. You want to do that? Sure. Should we just be the Laurens? <laughs> well, Judd, you are a, um, a very well-known fella here in the wine business. You know, let's, let's, we're going to talk about Humanitas your wine brand and he mentioned charitable wines we're going to get into that because this is a, a wonderful concept actually let let us talk about that right now and then we'll get into your background let's let's start with the big stuff so tell me about humanitas wines it's been around now for some time 15 years 15 years yeah good track record and a percentage of all of the proceeds you give right back to charity give back to charity yeah it was something that really hit me about the time i turned 40 in 1997 just wanted to do something good and i was working for robert mondavi at the time and and wanted to have my own winery and i think probably you could attest that the last thing we needed was another winery out there i think we've got plenty of them there's a lot of wineries it's yeah. hard to you know there used to be a time where you could just make good wine and it would sell and that's really all you needed to do those times are long gone so you have to figure out a way to Right. connect with people. There's, there's more to just being a producer of good wine. You've got to have a story right. or something to connect. And the, everybody's making good wine, plus good wine is kind of subjective, right? So how can you resonate? How can you stand out? How can you do something a little bit different that makes people kind of think, hey, you know what? I want to try that. And, and uh, one thing led to another. In 2001, I had this crazy vision, and that vision was to make wine so good, quote unquote, so that I could change the world. <laughs> yeah. And set out by uh, building a shed in my backyard. Uh, in Browns Valley, got it bonded. It's one of the last garagiste bonds in Napa Valley. Oh. Uh, we call it the Shed Toe. And <laughs> the Shed sense. Toe, we started making some wine. I started selling it, started giving the profits to charity. Uh, and then sort of changed the model a little bit where it became a percentage of revenues. And it goes back locally to charities that uh, wherever I sell the wine, primary need stuff. Hunger, housing, and health. And what are some of the organizations here locally that you Yeah, know? well, you know, I've done a lot with, when we talk about the food banks, talk about uh, the hospice, which just changed their name, and I can't remember what their new name is right now. Mm. Uh, I'm dealing with the Chamber of Commerce Foundation, actually. Uh, right now, that's actually one of the programs we're, we're doing. We just got through raising money and 10,000 pairs of shoes for Souls for Souls. Oh, Souls for Souls, uh, a great exactly. organization. We've yep. been a collection center over at Judd's Hill. Yeah, have you? Yeah. yeah. We, uh, we had all of our picking bins filled with... <laughs> 
with 10,000 pairs of shoes. 10,000. It was wow. a lot of shoes. Uh, but we felt really good about it. Yeah, there's a lot, a lot of different things. I do housing projects. I do all sorts of stuff. Uh, anything that we can do that, that makes the world a better place and makes it easier for people. And then hopefully kind of do it, pay it forward. If we could put, you know, maybe a roof over somebody's head, if we can put, uh, you know, a meal in their stomach, if we sure. can give them an education, keep them healthy, maybe they're going to pay it forward and, and try and do good for the world uh, as they move forward. Those are all cornerstones of a healthy community. So on behalf of the community, thank you for thinking this way and making that happen. You know, like-minded, we don't necessarily do a percentage of our revenue, but overall of the business at Judd's Hill, but every event that we hold... Quite a hefty percentage of that event revenue exactly. goes. And you know, the whole industry is like that. The whole industry is is really a giving industry. Uh, I just kind of took it to this crazy yeah. level. It's it's important. You know, I, I really do believe that when you're in a community that supports you, you really have to mm-hmm. support the community. Exactly. Back. It makes all the sense in the world to me and you, obviously. Okay, so we've got that established. Now we know who you are. Let's back it up, and then we'll get back into what you're doing these days. But did you grow up uh, up here? Were you in a wine-related type family? What? Tell me about you no, as a, not as at a all. youngin. I grew up in Southern California so. in the Pasadena area, and really what happened is, you know, I think everybody in the wine industry gets turned on somehow. There's yeah. some pusher. I'm sorry, mentor <laughs> yeah. that, that uh, turns you on. And it could be a boss. It could be something else because culturally we're not really, you know, wine people here in the United States. So for me, it was my older brother. I have an older brother who's 12 years older than me. When he was 28, he got into wine, which is back in the early 70s. Oh, wow. uh, I was 16 years old. I made my first trip to Napa Valley. It was, was 1974. Should you have been drinking wine? At not at all, yeah. but I got served everywhere I went. And in 1974, you can imagine the valley was not as many wineries no. and really no restaurants for that matter. Matter. And in fact, the, the bridge wasn't even here at that point in time, but I was the co-driver. And uh, so my brother was taking me around and it turns out everywhere I went, people started, you know, saying, hey, well, it's, you know, why don't you try some wines? I'm like, okay. And I think I caught the bug at that point. In Were time. you rocking a little mustache at 16? Or? Not, not even close. No? <laughs> you just looked mature. That, that did come. No, not even close. I looked like I was 12. <laughs> but, you know, I think it was, there were so many people that were of Italian descent or French descent or German descent. And for them, it was part of their culture to drink at every age. Yeah, that's true. And that was my experience as well growing up. If we went to, well, back then, I guess I can tell this story. I mean, the statute of limitations is probably well past, but... Uh, Way back when, um, we're talking about like the early 80s for me, you know, 81, 82, 83. I was a kid, you know, teen, early teen in, the, in the, that time. And our family birthdays and whatnot would be over at the restaurant at Domaine Chandon, which was, you know, very classic French service, whatnot. There was never a question. I mean, a glass always got put in front of me. I was always served. And I think when I was 18, we went there for an occasion. And our waiter, who we had every single time, came over and he apologized. And he said, you know... There's been some cracking down, and we will not be able to serve you today. Knowing full well, you know, probably shouldn't have been <laughs> throughout. You probably but, brought your own anyway. Well, yeah, probably so. But but the fact is that there's such a cultural difference between yeah. those uh, the European mindset and, you know, what we got going on here. Yeah, that's exactly it. I'm not saying that people should be drinking underage. Not at I'm all. I'm just saying if it's approached with, you know, a healthy attitude, it's not a taboo thing. It's, it's part of life and in moderation can right. be part of a healthy lifestyle, then go ahead. And I we all know if train. it's taboo, we're going to want it more. Absolutely. Yeah. Abs- there's no doubt about it. I mean, I feel like my folks did a great job mm-hmm. of indoctrinating me. Is that the right word? But but showing me what wine is and how it can be enjoyed healthfully. Right. And I, I have to admit, I've never binged. I think in my entire life, I've only been drunk 
once enough to get sick. You know, wow, like, that's only one of us, Judd. One, once. <laughs> well, I, you know, and that's it because it was never taboo. So it was nothing I felt I ever had to sneak around right. or hoard. Or anyhow, I'll get off my soapbox. But interesting that we had a similar experience as youngins here in Napa Valley. Yeah, yeah. In Didn't fact, serve. I think I, maybe I told you the story that I was a retailer in 1981 and came up and visited your dad's winery. You did met mention your that. dad, and your dad said he, we were introduced, and he goes. Your name's Judd? <laughs> and I went, yeah, sorry. And I know it's hard. And he goes, my son's name is Judd. And yeah. I'm like, I got to meet this guy. And he goes, well, he's a little kid. <laughs> like, okay, fine. And here we are. And there we are now. Yes. Well, we have, we have met. So you're 16. You're in Napa Valley. You're digging wine. Your brother is your mentor, a.k.a. Pusher. Yeah. Ah, it's so great. You know, you like wine. How did you decide to make this, you know, a career path? You know, what ended up happening is I went, when I went away to college, I really went away to college to play baseball, which is what I did at UCLA for a couple of years. And then, unfortunately, my dad went bankrupt. I was pushed out on my own. I was 18 oh. years old, and I had to make enough money to put myself through school. So what's the best way, particularly back in those days, to make money was to wait tables. Mm-hmm. And you learn pretty quickly when you're waiting tables that if you sell wine, you make much bigger tips. Yes. So I really started applying sort of more of that wine knowledge uh, and uh, and making bigger tips, and it put myself myself through college doing that. And the second part of that was that I learned that particularly like at 21, 22 years old, not a whole lot of guys were drinking wine, Mm-mm. and girls really liked guys that drank wine. Is that right? Yeah. So that was it. Worked out. Wow. I'm not sure I've found that to be true at all in college. <laughs> I, maybe I should have mentioned that a little more. Could have. Although it did work out for me in the end. It was a, a dinner party where I met my current wife. There you go. My only wife. I, I say my say. current wife. I've only been married once and I'm still married. But it was a dinner party and I was in the kitchen opening some wine and she came up, what do you got? A bottle of wine. I like wine. Excellent. And there we go. But you kind of glossed over this baseball thing. You, you were a college player like big time, right? Yeah, it was it was the Pac-8 back then, mm-hmm. uh, which is you know what is it now the Pac-12, Pac-12 yeah. or Pac-37? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe what it is. I haven't checked lately, but could be. Yeah, so I played at UCLA, and I wasn't really one of these guys that was uh, you know destined to be a pro baseball player or anything like that. I just really liked baseball and, and happened to be good enough to play. I was the only walk-on on the team, oh. uh, which actually knocked somebody else who was on scholarship off, which is unfortunate. But uh, oh, so you weren't uh, on scholarship? They didn't scout you. You just no, I was a walk-on. Wow! And uh, ended up playing shortstop at UCLA, and and um, and then that's actually when I made that decision when my dad went bankrupt, mm. and I kind of had to uh, make my future decisions. Here I was a political theory major at UCLA, and I had no idea what that meant. And what do political theoricians do, or whatever? I don't know. That was your major, exactly. I don't know. And at the same time, it was like, okay, am I really going to make it to to the pros? You know, in baseball, chances are extremely slim. Mm -hmm. So at that point in time, I decided, okay, I'm going to make that change in my life. I'm going to transfer up to Cal Poly San Luis Obispo, God's country, and get my degree in agribusiness. And I was going to feed the world in agribusiness. In agribusiness, yeah. And, and we're in the agribusiness, so I just kind of made this, you know, simple twisted fate. I kind of yeah. made a little turn, and instead of feeding the world, I actually just started feeding them wine. Well, but, but I mean, you have your, your change-the-world attitude exactly with, with your wine, so you really are doing that. Congratulations. That, that's very, very cool. You, but what got, where was your first wine 
like job, like career wise, not being a waiter, but like wine specific. Like I'm now in the wine business. Yeah. How did that happen? Well, during college, I was actually a cellar rat on the weekends. I was, oh, I was, really? I was waiting tables at, in at San night Luis in San Luis at yeah. Enda Valley Vineyards. Actually, a oh, friend yeah. of mine was the assistant winemaker. And I said, you know, can I come in and just move hoses around and clean barrels? And can you teach me something, you know? <laughs> and a uh, guy's name was Bruno D'Alfonso. And so I started doing that. And that was great. That was a nice little, uh, you know, sort of start of the whole thing. And it's also when I realized I really didn't want to go into production. <laughs> and so when I got out, I got a, I was a retailer. They worked you pretty hard, huh? It was, you know, it's, it's interesting work. <laughs> okay, we can leave it at that. Or The cellar wasn't for you. No, the cellar was okay. actually fine. I actually okay. love it more in the cellar than anywhere else. But oh. I kind of also take a look at it and said, you know, well, I actually mapped out a plan for, my, for myself, which is really um, interesting because you know, I think at 21, 22 years old, you don't do that. But I wanted to walk a mile in the shoes of everybody that touched wine. You know, I wanted to sell wine. I wanted to uh, make wine. I wanted mm. to broker. I wanted to do marketing. I wanted to do all the different things that I could around wine so that ultimately I could run wineries uh, from an experience base as opposed to a, you know, a, you know, theoretical base. Theoretically, yeah. And, uh, and that's what I did. And that's what I do now is I run wineries. You, you, you've achieved your goal. I have. That's great. So what are you running? What am I running? I'm running three wineries. That's uh, we, amazing. We call it the Good Life Wine Collective, and the Good Life Wine Collective is actually named because I gave a little nod to my mentor, uh, you know, Mr. Mandavi, Robert Mandavi, and he always preached that wine is a part of the good life. And when I named this trilogy of wineries, and we wanted an umbrella name so we could put it on a card, I guess, uh, we called it the Good Life Wine Collective, giving a nod to Bob. Well, that's a great uh, name. Yeah, I mean, thanks. I think wine is part of the good life. Oh, absolutely. We just uh, talked about. And uh, so it's Jessup Cellars mm-hmm. uh, up in Yonville. It's handwritten wines, which we just got the approval to break ground on another uh, tasting room in what we call Soyo, South Yonville. Oh. And, uh, and then Humanitas Wines, which is actually at our winery, which is in the glamorous uh, business park down uh, by the DMV. <laughs> it's, well, you know, you say that with a joke, but when you, you know, I've, I'm sorry, I have not visited myself, but I've seen photos online. You've made a very elegant space down there in yeah. the business park by the DMV. Yeah. And there's actually several of us down there. There's yeah. about 14, 15 wineries. Ten of us have bonded together, and we created the Crusher Wine District right. as, a, as a trade group. Mm-hmm. And and, and I, I see you guys put out you know, press releases, and you have mm-hmm. events together down there. The yeah. Crusher Wine District, named after... The, the, the Grape Crusher, which is really the Grape Presser statue True that's uh, down, at the, statue. Uh, down at the bottom of the valley. That's, that's very cool that you are, you are a um, trailblazer in many ways. Yeah, You're starting funny. this, starting the Humanitas, and also... Literally, you've been blazing trails. I know I'm going all over the place, but you have so much to talk about. At what point, I know you've done so much traveling throughout the world, Southeast Asia, South Pacific. You you almost died on one of these trips, and you're smiling while I say that. I'm not yeah. sure. So you've been blazing trails. What, what was that all about? What, what happened that you were uh, yeah. face death in the face? Yeah, face death. Uh, I didn't know I was facing death, actually. I was basically unconscious. But uh, no, I got bit by a mosquito and I uh, got uh, something called dengue fever, which is in the news now. You know, we've got our new uh, mosquito virus that's going around. Yeah. But I was in uh, Indonesia, basically basking on a beach in, uh, in uh, Indonesia and apparently got bit by a mosquito. Oh. And, uh, and it was in a, you know, kind of a remote little area. And the doctor in the area came around only two days a week. He's like, touring the whole you know island yeah and i got bit on a thursday 
And the doctor's in town Wednesday and Thursday, so I didn't know I was sick. And then for the next five days, I had 105 fever for five days straight, and I oh. lost 35 pounds in six days. And, uh, and I'm, wow. on the tr- I'm in the tropics, and I'm in my mummy, you know, down to negative 15, you know, degree uh, bag, shivering. Oh. And, and if you get a really high fever like that, you're kind of unconscious. You're not really, you're pretty delirious. Right. So I wasn't really conscious of it, you know. And of course... This is in 1980. Is there so, anybody with you to help? Yeah, I had a me? buddy of mine. He was out at the beach surfing, you know. So. <laughs> well, you, okay, okay. <laughs> but that was fine because, you know, as long as I was alive, that was all right. And finally the doctor came around, or actually I, I, uh, when he came back into town, I pulled myself up to visit the doctor. He gave me a couple shots, kind of described in broken English what I had, gave me some medicine that made me sick, and it was cleared up. It was great. Uh, Just like that. Yeah, and and suddenly I was, you know, 150 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> the dengue diet. <laughs> That's exactly so, it, the dengue diet. <laughs> sounds horrible. I'm no epidemiologist, but... Uh, Probably not what you want to do. I thought red wine cured that. It does. It cures yeah. everything. But again, I'm not a doctor or an epidemiologist. I don't know. So you're definitely an adventurer. You like new experiences. It seems like you like challenges, and it seems to have done well for you. Yeah, you know, I, I, I was. There have been mentors in my life, and there was a gentleman that I met. I was running a restaurant in Newport Beach, and he was a guy who who told me. He goes, you know, Judd. He goes, you can go back and you get your masters, you can do all sorts of stuff, but why don't you spend some time just getting worldly? And he was a very, very successful architect, but he didn't really start his life until he was in his forties, mm. uh, because up until I think about his mid thirties, he was a garbage collector in Madagascar. <laughs> wow! <laughs> and, I, and I thought that was you know, inspirational for some reason. So I ended up doing these travels to, you know, Southeast Asia. I was, I was, uh, I went to, uh, Nepal. I was climbing mountains. I was running rafts. I was doing all sorts of weird stuff until it finally got out of me. And then I was like, okay, now let's maybe start a career. Wow. Well, it's a great path that again, has served you very well. I hate to break here because there's, there's so much to talk about and I'm enjoying the conversation, but we do have to take a break and we'll be back with Judd Wallenbrock, the other Judd. Ah, today. Okay. I'll be the other Judd. Why not? No, we're all Lauren today. We're all Lauren. We're all Lauren. Yeah. Speaking of Lauren Mole, we'll be back with more of Judd's Napa Valley Show right after these messages. Judd's Napa Valley Show. Every episode, a veritable cornucopia of finkel fun. At 1440 on your AM dial in Napa and streaming live around the world at KVON.com. Back to Judd's Napa Valley Show. Thank you, Lauren Mole. That's right, around the world via kvon.com. Stream it live, and if folks want to listen to past episodes, download them, subscribe to them. We have the podcast available at the iTunes store. Just search for Judd's Napa Valley Show. That's right, Lauren Mole. Thank you very much. We're here with Judd. We're not going to call him the other Judd, because that's me. You came first, at least in this world. Yeah. Uh, when did you come to Napa Valley? Came here in, at the end of 1992. All right, so I got you beat there. Yeah, in Napa Valley, you're the other. Well, yeah. I don't know. We can I just know. let's just both be Judd. There's I no think other Judd. Judd. We can share. It's Judd Wallenbrock, and you've brought some interesting things here. We do this bit called "Get Your Hands on Judd's Goodies," and guests bring all kinds of oddball things for the listeners to win. And I'm intrigued. I might, I might want some of that myself, but I'm still gonna, I'm still gonna give it up. I'm gonna give folks a chance. But tell, tell me about what you got here, Judd. Well. Judd. Yes, Judd. What I've, got, what I've got here is an official Timberwolves, which is a basketball team, yeah. but it's a baseball cap. And this was given to me by Kevin Love. Now, some of you may or may not know that Kevin Love's no longer with the Timberwolves. He plays for the Cavaliers, at least for now. He did not sign it, 
But I was at a charitable event in Minnesota, <laughs> met the guy. He yeah. was he went to UCLA, so there was oh, sort yeah, of a connection that. there, you know. And he handed me the Timberwolves hat. And and uh, as much as it, it, it pains me to actually give up this hat, I can't wait to get rid of it. So <laughs> I was uh, it pains you. You don't have to do it. But that that's my wife's a- been asking me to get rid of it forever. <laughs> It's a great hat. It looks, it's in great condition. Probably never worn. Never worn. Still no, has still the has sticker. A, still has a price tag that I didn't pay for. Uh, a price tag. It. It's got the uh, official Flex NBA sticker on That's the bill. Exactly it. In perfect shape, so someone could be the lucky. Is that a one size fits all, or is it? It adjustable? is a one size fits all, I believe. Yeah, yeah, it's a one size fits all. Okay. Although it says that it's a large extra large, so okay. Uh, if all of you are large extra large, it will fit that one size <laughs> for you. I if you think got, so. If you got a big head. This hat is for you. Yeah, I think Or the so. big-headed love of your life. You can tweet right now with hashtag JNVS for Judd's Napa Valley Show and put at Judd's Hill, one word. I'll get that. And the first tweet that comes in gets this hat. And we're and throwing in today only. Today only. Uh, slightly used official wiffle ball set. Okay, not slightly used. How about heavily used official wiffle ball set? Now, for those of you who don't know the official wiffle ball, official wiffle ball is... The long, slender, yellow, skinny bat. There it is. Uh, and the official wiffle ball is the one that is half solid and half holes, so you can curve it like crazy. Yeah, that does curve. And being a former baseball player, I'll bet you can get that to curve. I can I can get it to curve quite a bit. and can go up and down, and I can throw my arm out really easily in a short <laughs> period of time you're playing that, with it. Is that why you're giving it up? <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> it's actually it's a favorite game that I play with, uh, with uh, my son. Uh, when he's back from college, Cameron, and we uh, we have a little one-on-one over-the-line wiffle ball game that we play. Well, I, you can't give that away. Or is it time for a new set? Believe it or not, I have another set. Okay. All right. Well, the first one to tweet, hashtag JNVS with at Judd's Hill as one word. You get this. I'll bring it back to the Judd's Hill tasting room on Silverado Trail. It'll be there for, I don't know, three days. And if no one picks it up, I'm taking that home. Yeah, and I promise, I, I'd even come up to Judd's Hill and teach them how to play one-on-one oh, over the line with How ball. about that? That's a While Judd's sipping Napa on Valley some show. great Judd's Hill wine, huh? Indeed. Let's do that. And then we can take the party down. I know that you want to learn ukulele. We've talked about this. So I'd say the lucky tweeter or whoever, well, we can start at Judd's Hill. Then we'll go down to the uh, Humanitas Tasting Room yeah. in the Crusher District by the DMV. And we'll do a lovely tasting of your wines. There we go. And a ukulele jam. I would love that. Okay. I'm all over it. We're setting that up. <laughs> it sounds fun to me. But you are a musician. I know that you, you you play guitar. We did a bit for the Napa Valley Vintners. The Judds did play. It's true. We built it up. There was the It was the hospitality boot camp up at the Cameo That's Cinema exactly right, yeah. in St. Helena. And after lunch, it was announced that to get people fired up and the Napa Valley Vintners, of course, have these great connections everywhere. They can make things happen. So to get people, you know, out of their post-lunch kind of days, we're going to fire them up with a private concert from the Judds. And people's eyes, you know, definitely lit up and they kind of perked up in their seats. And then you and I walked out. <laughs> you with your uke and me with my uh, <laughs> guitar. my guitar, and we sang "Tiny Bubbles." And we and we had the words up on the uh, cameo theater uh, screen so that yeah. everybody could sing along. They all stood up and sang along with us, "Tiny Bubbles." <laughs> and I I don't know if they were thrilled or disappointed, but there was there was an audible reaction. I don't know if it was it was like a ah. Like, do you or think anybody? Uh. Do you think anybody like recorded that and YouTubed it? I hope not. I haven't seen it. 
But you do have a solo act. I do, yeah. Yeah, yeah just like you have your own band, right? Yeah, you know? the Mike High uh, Chance. Right. Old-time Hawaiian music. And and they're, and you're quite good. Well, thank you. I, I have to tell you, I, I mean, I've seen you several times, um, various winery events, things like that. You guys are a kick in the pants. Tell me about uh, your band. I have a solo act. Oh, your solo uh, act. Yeah, and it's a solo act. It's just me uh, with my guitar, and, and it's called Crowd Control. Oh, great name. Um, yeah, crowd control is is uh, who you invite when you want everybody to disperse. Um, <laughs> because of my uh, the quality of, uh, of guitar playing and singing, uh, I can guarantee the room will clear within minutes. <laughs> that, that's good to know. Yeah, that, then you'll be performing in front of an empty audience. But it, and I've, and my, my job has been accomplished, That's right? the mission. Well, yeah. there you go. Yeah. I get yeah. it. You know, sometimes we have these events. They're, you know, at a certain time frame. And after that, we've got to clean up and you get, get home. You, know, you can only get the lights the up for so high. But, you know, the second you start actually yeah. having me play out there, it's amazing what happens. That's good to know. I'm going to keep that in mind. Yeah. One of my tricks of the trade is you hold a raffle. If people are just hanging out and you want them to go... Like, okay, everyone, it's raffle time. And you find a prize and you pull a raffle ticket. The one winner is very happy. And then everyone else, like, well, I didn't win. I guess I'll go. I'm out of here. And they go. Yeah. It works like a charm. But now I know I can call you and book your solo act, My, Crowd Control. If I'm more than happy to, to do leave. That. I'm sure it's great. Let's talk about Humanitas a little bit. We, you know, we touched on the uh, charitable aspect, but let's, let's dig a little deeper. I mean, you have these philosophies that go along with it. And first of all, what does it mean, Humanitas? What is the literal meaning of that? Yeah, literally, I mean, it's Latin, and it's uh, Latin for philanthropy, human nature, kindness. Um, think just humanity. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and it was really inspired by something I was in uh, Italy, in Florence, and I actually saw a door, you know, somebody's famous door. Wow. Botticelli, somebody like that, all these wood-carved doors that are so f- fantastic. Mm-hmm. And it was, uh, and it said Charitas. And Charitas was really the handing out of food, uh, you know, to people that, that needed uh, charity. And I thought, God, that's just such a, I had this concept already going. And I love the, the, the concept of Charitas. And I love the idea of using Latin, a language that sort of transcended all languages, right? Mm. But Charitas was a little bit too much in your face. So <laughs> I went back and, and uh, you know, grabbed myself a Latin dictionary, started looking for words that, that sort of felt that way. And, and Humanitas just jumped jumped out at me. Uh, it just made so much sense. Well, I think being a human is a great I think compliment. It, it helps. And, and it has good connotations, uh, no matter what your thought about the current state of humanity. But I think deep at its core, it's a, it's a good thing to be human. I think so. And there's a great compliment in Yiddish. People call you a mensch, and that means you're a person. Right. And, and it's one of the greatest compliments you can give somebody. The 7% solution. Yeah, the 7% solution this is... This is part of your... Yeah marketing this is part of what you say you're doing with your wines right it's also a sherlock holmes story which is very good that's a, actually where i got the name believe it, but, it or not but that has to do with this cocaine addiction it's, uh, i know it's a solution that he I injects know. with cocaine yeah it has nothing to do with that okay that's what i uh, wanted to ask you about yeah uh, what it had to do with is i was doing a lot with literacy and so uh i thought the sherlock holmes you know book connection would make a lot of sense ah. and there's somebody else now using the seven percent solution for Something else. I think it's uh, oh, yeah? like a bunch of wineries putting in stuff. I don't know. I can't remember what it is. This term really was was born out of the idea that the story, as as the story goes, I tell people that wherever I went, you know, that I you know I make wine, I sell it, give my profits to charity, right? Yeah. And on the West Coast, people were like, "God bless you. That is what a wonderful thing you're doing." But the further east I would go until I got to New York, where I'd find people where I'd tell the same thing: I make wine, sell it, give my profits to charity, and the New Yorkers would say. Yeah, so, well, uh, right, you give your profits to charity. I bet you pay yourself a million bucks and you don't have any profits. Uh-huh. And I thought, wow, well, that's uh, very New York of you. <laughs> <laughs> 
just cynical to the core. <laughs> and right. uh, and uh, and so I start, but I listen to that. And and honestly, the story goes is that I, I Michael Mandavi gave me a book called "Let My People Go Surfing," uh, and it was uh, and it was by Yvonne Chouinard, the founder founder of Patagonia. And what he found was the same thing. He was trying to give back to charities that were Earth based charities, right? Mm-hmm. Because he wanted to preserve the Earth so that people will climb it and buy his clothes and equipment for it, right? Well, I wasn't really doing that, but I, I, I he found an organization called One Percent for the Planet, and One Percent for the Planet says, look, you can hide profits, but you can't hide revenues. Mm. And so uh, we applaud and give a sort of this good housekeeping seal to companies that give at least 1% of their revenues to earth-based charities. Well, I wasn't giving back to earth-based charities. I was giving back to human-based charities. Mm-hmm. And I was giving more than 1%. So I just molded this whole kind of concept that it was going to be 7% of uh, all revenues would go to a charity. And sometimes the charities are much higher. And when I have a specific charity in mind, but overall through the end of the year, it's about 7% of the revenues at least 7% of the revenues go to charity. Well, that's great. And you're being transparent about it so people can really hold you to right, it. Right, yeah. You can't hide revenues. So there's New Yorkers now. Got nothing to you, say. You can't say anything. Except, good on you, man. <laughs> that's great. Well, it seems like you have you know really established and solid philosophy about how to do this. And I know that company culture is very important to you. What did you say? It was, was Rabam Davi instilled this in you, right? About the co- company culture. Right. Is you, I think you said it's the single most important thing you learned from him. So how how do you develop your company culture? It's something I am very, oh, I was about to say passionate about, but that's such an overused word. But it's true in this case. I mean, to me, that is what our business is all about. It's like fine wine, of course. Right. But then you have to have an amazing company culture that people enjoy working at Judd's Hill, and they enjoy being in and around it so people come visit. And and when you enjoy the company, you're going to enjoy the work as well. So how do you go about developing your company culture and what's your idea of your yeah. company culture? Well, there's, there's a couple of different parts to that, but yeah. you know, the first part about it is that profits don't drive culture. Culture drives profits, you know, so that's without a doubt, that is a sort of a, yeah. a, a primary part of that. Oh, I agree. But going back to the Mandavi side of things you know, the, when I first started with Mandavi, this is pre IPO, right? The culture there was how can we make that happen? You know, no matter what you come up, you come up with the craziest idea in the world. And the attitude was like, how can we make that happen? It wasn't like, prove to me that you can make that happen, or I don't think that's going to happen, but, you know, work on this and get back to me, and then we'll decide whether it's going to happen. It was immediately. The Mm. attitude across the family and across the, the management was, how can we make that happen? And then you might get to a point where it really wasn't going to be able to happen or it wasn't a priority, but the attitude, the culture that was there was like, can do, we can make this happen. And no matter what it was. And for me, that was the most inspiring thing about it. You know, as, as the company culture changed after the IPO and other things happened, uh, it did change how people's perceptions were. And there was no longer that, how can we make it happen sort of attitude. Mm-hmm. And that's another learning, you know, thing that you, that you find out. So when I left, you know, in, in 2001 and started running other wineries and doing other things, to me, that was the thing that I really took away from it. And, and there's a couple of things that I use are sort of my litmus test. One yeah. is, you know, how can we make it happen? And the other thing I say all the time, no matter what question or what happens, what, what, whatever happens in the thing, I ask, what would a great estate do? Mm-hmm. And it answers all the questions. You know, if you've got, if you want to cut corners here, or if you wanted to do something else here, or you needed to do something else, if I had just asked the question, well, what would a great estate do? The answer just comes out automatically. It's nice to have those references, you know, these keystones. Like yeah. for you, it's what would a great estate do? For us, uh, my, my father, Art, you know, the founder yeah. of the company, unfortunately no longer uh, with us, but uh, we say, what would Art do? Right. Because we considered him, and luckily he created this culture of, you know, integrity, honesty, hospitality. And it's, what would art do in this case? That's exactly it. Yeah. You know, and it, dri- it, it's, it drives so many things that it's, it's kind of easy. 
you know, when yeah. you when you when you ask that question. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's good. I'm I'm glad you you said that out loud. It's inspiring me too to go back and add what would a great estate do to right. our to our uh, our mantra about that. The the tasting room down in the Crusher District. Yeah. I'm focusing on that. Should I be talking about your other? We, uh, we can do whatever well? you want to do. I'm here. I'm I've. I got all those hats that I... We can come back and talk about Jessup or Handwritten another day. Okay, why don't we do that? I think there's a lot to talk about. But on your website, you mentioned you have what's called the Pay It Forward Tasting Experience. But I'm not sure what that means. Yeah, well, first of all, all the tastings, again, all the money that comes into the company goes, you know, we give back to charity. Okay. But the pay it forward kind of mentality is, is the same thing with our clubs or with our tastings or with purchase of the wines. The experience down there, and I think you've kind of figured this out too, you know, at Judd's Hill, the experience is everything, right? Absolutely. The, the, the wines are, are fantastic. We all expect that. But what about the experience? And, and you know... Humanitas is, is in a is in a warehouse district or a business district yeah. in a tilt up and you know so it's graduated you know in 15 years from a shed in my backyard yeah. to a, to a warehouse and you know in South Napa and you can see the trajectory is yeah baby steps yeah it's, it's, it's really going someplace no, it's great but we do some pretty fun stuff there we kind of redecorated this little you know it was a it was a conference room it looks and, beautiful uh, yeah, and the pictures on the website lots of fun yeah. which is humanitaswines.com by thank the way. you very much for that yeah. but what we did is we brought in a bunch of vinyl albums a uh, huge selection of it repeatedly the the largest in in the wine country and we have our old uh, record player in there and and speakers so oh, we yeah? we invited everybody to come down and just uh, uh i know you spin vi- you used to spin vinyl at uh, at the city winery i was about to ask if yeah. you ever did that i never did oh, I, I really they the went natural. out of business before i could do it it was a fun well, gig but yeah. i wanted to do it but so we do it down there at the at the tasting annex, you know, and uh, and everybody gets to choose sort of the music that they want to taste by, and we've got <laughs> yeah. mostly older stuff, but you know, there's vinyls back, so mm-hmm. we're, we're acquiring more vinyl coming. It's a lot more expensive now, I'll just tell you that, but uh, and play the music, and then we do something really bizarre. You know, we want to wine and food are they're part of the same thing to, to those of us in the wine industry, oh, yeah. right? And wine is food. Inextricably uh, linked. It's exactly it. So we, we'd like to really sort of do sort of food and wine pairings, but we wanted to do something in a more creative way. So worked with a chef, Chef Mike C., and we created uh, molecular gastronomy bites. And what we've oh. done with uh, the molecular, molecular gastronomy is we've taken a meal and we've deconstructed it, and then we reconstruct it with a couple of simple natural ingredients that mimic the flavor of the whole meal. And so, uh, such as you're gonna have to walk me such, through. This. Yeah, well, right now what we've got on there is I've got a, a fire roasted tom- uh, tomato bisque that uh, is like a, a, a soup, but it's really made with an infused oil. It's got a, a gastrique, a balsamic gastrique, and then it's we make caviar, but it's not fish caviar. It's caviar that's made from uh, called a, a process called spherification that takes a flavor, and in this particular case, fire roasted tomato sauce. Yeah. Uh, we mix it with a little agar, which is a plant-based uh, thickener, oh, right? Yeah, gelatin. Yeah. Sure. And we thicken it up a little bit, uh, we heat it up, stir it all up, and then we drip it into almost frozen oil, Mm -hmm. and it spherifies. It turns into these little balls, looks like tobacco, and then we put that in the spoon, and then we top it with a little bit of uh, a particular flavored salt. In this case, it's a smoked salt. And when you take that little bite, it's like you're taking a a, a full, like, delightful cup of fire-roasted soup. We've got one that's a a mushroom ragu that's going on right now. I've done a bacon, lettuce, and tomato. I've done (laughs) chips and salsa. And then Uh, you have the perfect wine. The wine that pairs with it, yeah. And it's just a great way for people to explore their palate, not just in the flavor, but in the texture that goes on, because there's all sorts of different textures that are going on. The oil's got that, you know, sort of fatty, oily thing. Mm -hmm. The the, the, uh, caviar, of course, has got these little spherical balls in in your mouth, and then you've got the salt, which is very angular and, and sharp. And I imagine whoever uh, is hosting the tasting, it talks about 
all of this. Yeah. yeah shout out to Zeke Hampton. He's uh, Ezekiel is our tasting room manager. He's the coolest dude on the face of the planet, and he's a huge uh, music fan. You know, we I, we both sort of gelled on this whole thing. We believe that music is actually a healing sort of uh, thing. Yeah. And uh, and so in in line with what we're trying to do, you know, health, hunger, housing, uh, music is part of the healing process. So we want to make sure that we have the music going. All things that make people happy, and happiness is healing. You know, music, there you food, go. wine. You're a creative fellow. There's no doubt about that. In fact, you're you're writing a book. Is that <laughs> is that true? Yes. I mean, I, I, I imagine it's true. Uh, I think you're the one that told me about it. Yeah, yeah. I am writing a book, and I've been writing it for about, I, I'm going to guess, probably 20 years. It's still in the outline phase. <laughs> I'm not a very quick <laughs> writer, but it's been, okay. you know, it's been, my goal is, has been, I come from a family of writers and English majors and all sorts of, you know, the liberal arts kind of stuff. And my, and my goal was to write the great American novel. It still is. Yeah. And at 58, I'm hoping to do that at some point in time. Yeah. And ho- hopefully it'll make the New York Times bestseller list. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's yeah. A, before it's a, before the New York Times is no longer. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> do you want to give me the 30 second pitch of what it's about? Or are we oh, going to wait? Uh... It's called, it's called, it's called batting practice. Actually, oh. it's, it's sort of the life. Uh-huh. Uh, it's oh, the, I made a pun. I yeah, you know. did. I know. It's great. It's a. It's it's a. It's it's a story about sort of life lessons that you learn on the baseball field, and particularly as as a as a high school kid. So you're going through all those changes in life at 17, 16, 18 years old, and each position is uh, got its different roles. The interaction between it actually kind of goes back to that what we were just talking about culture mm-hmm. and how culture breeds success. And coach that was really a little bit like Yoda, sort of the you know that and that. That coach happens to be my brother, but we won't actually say that because it's a novel. And he and my brother actually is now a uh, kind of a famous hitting instructor to the pros. Oh, really? And and I was his first experiment, basically. So we and he turned me on to wine, and I turned him on to you know to this baseball coaching thing. So we've sort of played off of each other. So that's kind of the gist of the story. Well, that sounds like a good read, and it, you know, it sounds like that'll be an inspirational novel to a lot of folks when it comes out soon. <laughs> and, and by the by the way, if there was an audio uh, version. Of that but I know just who would be the perfect candidate to narrate uh, the audio version. Joe Buck. Oh, there oh, you go. I, Joe and, Buck. And Judd over here was pointing at you. Yeah, Warren, I was saying so. you. You got the voice. Well, I prefer to go with Joe Buck. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we are running low on time, unfortunately, but I do want to ask you a couple. So we're going to go with, this is going to be lightning round answers here. The Register, Napa Valley Register asked you, they do the, the t- 10 questions, whatever. You but did there's, your homework. There's no follow-up. There's no follow-up, That's so true. I want to ask you. You were asked, which three people would you like to have dinner with? You said, John, Paul, and George. Ringo, not so much. So do you want to talk about why the other three and, and why not Ringo uh, briefly? <laughs> I think that was the playoff the old Saturday Night Live skits when they used to do that. He'd come on board, you know, Lauren Michaels would come on board, and he goes, okay, not Ringo. here it is, yeah. 100 bucks for each one of you. Ringo, you don't have to come. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That was my little uh, Saturday Night Live. Tribute. Okay, so there's nothing personal with no. you and Ringo. No. All right, I just I was just curious. I mean, sure, it'd be great to meet up with the Beatles, any and all of them. I also know that your childhood ambition was to be the world's first underwater architect. That's correct. Okay, now you know there's still time, but at this point in your life, any regrets for not having achieved that? Your dad was an architect. This is true. My yeah. Dad. Yeah, it was my dream was to be an architect, and I, but I thought, well, I wanted to be a specialized architect, and I thought because uh, I also was really uh, heavily Cousteau uh, was was sort of a, a model of mine. I thought, so I want to be this scuba oceanographer guy, but I also want to be an architect. I got an idea. How about an underwater architect? <laughs> it's a great idea. Well, you still got a lot of good years in you. It could happen. <laughs> It could, could happen. happen. You're a creative guy, and you make. How can this happen? How can we make how that can happen? How can we make it happen? That's exactly right. That's true. I've got to ask you one more thing, actually, because this will give us a little insight into who you really are, Judd Wallenbrock. 
Uh, do you go nuts for donuts? Do I go nuts for donuts? <laughs> I'm not a donut guy, but oh, I like. But I, you know why? Because it's it's. It, I don't do a whole lot of desserts. And, and it's not because I don't like desserts. I love desserts. In fact, when I do desserts, it's like because I can't stop eating desserts. All right. Well, I'm putting these donuts. They're fresh this morning. It's a quite a variety. You don't have to pick look, one up and like eat it. It looks like the buttercream. It is indeed. Yeah. You don't have to pick one up and eat it. But uh, you've got four to choose from. Just if you were to eat one right now, which, which one would it be? Oh, you see the molasses covered thing? The, uh, the maple or molasses? The maple, maple old fashioned. That is the favorite of this show. Okay. Now, you say. I've read this about you, that balance in life is what you think is key, but never confuse that with moderation. No. So you're saying when, when uh, you like that, donuts man. are in front of you, where's the balance and how do you keep it in moderation? Yeah, let me tell you about uh, these two uh, quotes that I had over my uh, dorm room bed. One was uh, moderation in all things, and then on the other side of it was Robert Heinlein's moderation is for monks. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll keep the donuts away from you. Lauren, plenty of donuts for you today. And now it's time to play everyone's favorite game here on Judd's Napa Valley Show. This is Mad Libs. Now, Judd Wallenbrock, we're going to go quickly because we're low on time. I know that you know this game, and judging by the way we've conversed, you're going to be... Very quick with this. I need an adjective. Surly. <laughs> Surly. I like that. How about a noun? How about toilet? Toilet. This is going to be fun, Lauren. Noun. Daffodil, my favorite flower. Beautiful. They're coming up now. Noun. How about mouse? Mouse. A, we'll mix it up. How about a plural noun? Uh, can, I, can I use two words on this? It would sure. be cow patties. <laughs> cow patties. You know how to play this game. I like it. An adjective. Uh, I'll say plastic. Plastic. Another adjective. Fragrant. Fragrant. A plural noun. Screws. <laughs> Screws. And finally, a noun. Family. Family. That's a nice one. All right, Judd. Earlier today, I was on your website, humanitaswines.com, and there was a little bit about you, and you've just rewritten it via this Mad Lib game. Nice. Are you ready? <clears throat> this is uh, about you and Humanitas Wines. Most people envision a surly estate, a toilet, or an identifiable daffodil when they think of wineries, <laughs> especially in the Napa Valley. Humanitas had a different vision. Founder and owner Judd Wallenbrock wanted to focus on the wine, not a mouse. <laughs> Thank you for, for making that distinction. Focus. Yes. Here's your quote. Winery, uh, excuse me, this is your quote. Winery owners often come from other industries with lots of cow patties and plastic dreams to erect a beautiful edifice, says Judd, which is great. I didn't. I came from fragrant beginnings and was a wine guy from day one. I only cared about making wines that honored great screws and were so good they could change the family. Nice. That's kind of nice. You, you really did actually take that from I like it. Good job. Judd. Thank you very much. Judd, thank you very much. Lauren, thank you very much. This is Lauren Mole speaking for Judd's Napa Valley Show, a Gil Lamar production. Judd's Napa Valley Show.